Hello and welcome to the RICU. I'm Daniel Fuchs. I'm Stephen Gams. And I'm Gadali May. This is the RICU, where we keep you up to date on all the latest in clinical research. We know how busy you all are as med students and residents. It's sometimes hard to keep up with all the latest literature. So we're here to review recent research articles from top-tier medical journals to keep you up to date. Today, we will discuss two topics, and Daniel is pretty excited about the second one, so make sure you hang in there to hear about it. In an article in the December 2021 edition of JAMA, the authors summarized some of the classic presentations of appendicitis and treatment options. Daniel, would you be so kind as to remind us of what can cause an acute appendicitis? Sure. Acute appendicitis is inflammation of the vermiform appendix, you know, the little organ that hangs off the cecum. This occurs when the opening of the appendix becomes obstructed. This can be due to a fecalith, lymphoid hyperplasia, infection, tumors, a couple other things. But as a side note, did you know that lymphoid hyperplasia is the most common obstruction for kids and a fecalith is the most common in adults? Great. Gedalia, would you be so kind as to remind us of some of the classic presentations of acute appendicitis and why a patient may present this way? Sure. So it will initially present with a vague periumbilical pain because the appendix is a visceral organ and does not have well-localized pain. Eventually, the pain can migrate due to the inflammation of the appendix irritating the serosa of the appendix and possibly the abdominal wall, which will produce a more localized pain in the right lower quadrant. As you may predict, with inflammation, acute appendicitis can present with low-grade fever. Also, many patients present with nausea, anorexia, and vomiting. Awesome. Well done. On to the fun stuff, treatment. Treatment has historically been open surgery to remove the inflamed appendix, otherwise known as an appendectomy. Open appendectomies have been performed since, wait for it, approximately 1735. I was also surprised when I heard that. More recently, we have moved on to laparoscopic appendectomies as they have better post-surgery results. They have less pain, quicker recovery, et cetera. And even more recent clinical trials suggest that antibiotics can be a treatment option for non-complicated appendicitis. The trials found that antibiotics were able to successfully treat non-complicated appendicitis in 70% of patients. Stephen, just to clarify, surgery is certainly recommended for patients with complicated appendicitis because antibiotics are more likely to fail. Yep. And how would you know you're dealing with a complicated appendicitis? Findings include appendiceal dilation, mass effect, and fecal matter in the lumen of the appendix. All these findings point towards surgery, assuming the patient is fit for surgery. So these findings on CAT scans or other imaging modalities indicate a greater chance of treatment failure using antibiotics alone. Correct. Therefore, in non-complicated cases, where a patient is fit for surgery, both antibiotics and surgery can be considered first-line treatments. In patients that are unfit for surgery, antibiotics are considered first-line, and surgery may be considered if antibiotics fail. In patients that are unfit for surgery and have complicated appendicitis, then perioperative risk assessment, as well as patient preferences, should be considered. Stephen, so what's the punchline? The authors concluded that if appendectomy remains first-line therapy for acute appendicitis, but treatment with antibiotics rather than surgery is appropriate in select patients with uncomplicated appendicitis. This next study that I wanna share with you is so cool. I was looking through the recent publications and when I read the title of this one, I was like, nah, that's science fiction stuff. Then I read that they were able to do it. Anyhow, let me tell you about it. In one sentence, before we get into it, 
they are sequencing specific genes really quickly, like 26 minutes quickly, to see if a patient would be more likely to have a bad side effect from medication and then avoiding that medication for that patient. So on to it. Gedalia, what's the classic side effect that I'm thinking of for aminoglycosides? Tell the crowd. It's ototoxic. So we know that aminoglycosides are a common antibiotic, which are used worldwide for gram-negative infections. They are safe, but like with most drugs, they have side effects. One side effect of this particular medication in high doses is ototoxicity, hearing loss. That's right. And no one wants that. So Stephen, tell the world what they did. This study was focused on children in the NICU who would potentially need aminoglycosides. There is a gene that apparently makes the side effect of aminoglycosides autotoxicity more likely. So if a patient has that gene, we would like to try and avoid aminoglycosides if we can. What they were able to do is create a rapid point of care test that sequences the specific gene that they are looking for in under 26 minutes, as opposed to the usual amounts of time, which is more likely several days. If this could be implemented in all ICUs and emergency rooms, that that could significantly reduce the burden of aminoglycoside-induced ototoxicity, and the deafness that aminoglycosides cause is permanent. Yikes. This original investigation is printed in the March 21st, 2022 edition of JAMA. Check it out if you want to read more about the details, or just tell people this much and impress them with your big brains. And that's all we have for you today. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at therickyouteam at gmail.com. Follow us on Spotify, Instagram, and Facebook at The Rick Team. As always, thanks for listening.